0: Hi, this is Nikki, your host. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to do a quick plug, shamelessly, of course. But I love the fact that we have no ads, we have no separate interests that seep into this platform. I love that this is a safe space of conversation and of dialogue between organizers and artists and folks who are looking for creative interventions for this political social moment but I need your support if you love the podcast or if you feel like you are constantly learning from the conversations that arise in this platform become a patron it's three dollars a month you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash venus I'm happy to have you in this community all right Let's get into it. Hey, y'all. Happy Leo season. You're tuned in for another episode of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots, aka me, your host. And today's episode is going to be very relevant considering we're all spending more time online, more time on social media because of social distancing and quarantine in this moment. But we've also experienced the political uprising this summer. We're in an electoral year where people have all types of opinions and feelings around it. And for a lot of us, social media has been the primary place where we're getting our political news and our political analyses. So I wanted to have a conversation with someone who is rooted in an organizing tradition and who has a lot of clarity around the political terrain um, to sort of help me and help y'all make, you know, sense of this moment. So thank you for being on the show, James.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm sorry we're robbed by COVID. I feel like this could be a good coffee conversation at your crib that I'm I just I'm being loud <laughs> of.
0: For sure Um. so you know James for folks that don't know you um, you know James is a good friend and comrade of mine and also technically my boss which I think it's exciting to mention because I think we're challenging like the typical understandings of you know how folks hold leadership and how folks relate to these positions. So yeah, good friend, good comrade, and someone who I think is going to offer a lot of clarity for today. But before we get into like all of the political mess that we are in, um, James, just share with me and with folks like a little bit about why you do the work that you do and what grounds you in this work.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, again, really humbled to be on here. I think the the shortest uh, long story I can kind of tell is kind of how I entered movement was really. Um, Kind of, I'm from uh, Rochester, like Western New York, um, which is for folks who don't know, they think of New York City, but really Western New York between Rochester and Buffalo is a lot like the Midwest. It's more like Detroit or Cleveland than it is like the city. Uh, grew up, kind of working class household, public housing, um, and then really kind of began to develop my politic when uh, I was one of the so called gifted students that went, I got a scholarship to go to Uh, an all-white private school that was a Jesuit Catholic school um, for my high school years. And really kind of how I entered movement was uh, me finally being exposed to uh, understandings of what was happening in my life, whether it was like, uh, you know, trauma in my household or disputes around, um, you know, multitude of things in, in, in my family growing up and me having a lot of shame around it. And then, as I sort of got more politicized, really in college, um, you know, I sort of began to make sense of why the things in my family and in my neighborhoods were happening. Um, and that happened at the same time Trayvon Trayvon Martin uh, popped off. So I really got sort of sprung into activism and organizing through sort of just like protesting, um, and kind of how I entered here uh, from Power U was really most of my work came out of uh, doing direct action uh, and doing organ organizing uh, around uh, the carceral system. And most of my sort of so-called formal experience came when I, when I was hired at a nonprofit that was organizing churches, particularly working class churches around those ends. Um, So I always had a lot of questions. Um, I was really struggling to, uh, be to find people who were reading the same things as me or talking about like left ideas um, and felt really isolated um, and you know the internet was like a really important tool for me so you know I kind of and, and then finding community organizing through just getting lucky and having conversations with people who are open to uh, meet with me and um, yeah I kind of entered this conversation in a commitment to our people and a commitment to uh, building a world where we don't have to feel shame about the things that happened to us, but that these are all structural things that uh, not only were forced and shaped us, but can actually be changed if you really build power and are committed to that long-term.
0: Yeah. Period. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think you mentioned something that, you know, really ties into our conversation. This, and I totally resonate with this idea of like, when a lot of people ask me like what politicized do you like how you know I'm like well I grew up in Miami (laughs) and you know to you, you ain't gonna just like pop up you know as a leftist in Miami by accident but Tumblr in that time was like the space for me you know I was like you know people were talking about Syria and bombings and Obama doing this and I was like what you know um So I really resonate with that piece around the internet being this tool of, like, dissemination of information and and has the ability to, like, radicalize and politicize people. And we've seen that in kind of all avenues. Um, So specifically for today, because, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, people just got mad hot takes right now. (laughs) Like, Twitter's just wild. Instagram is wild. TikTok is wild. All of it is so much around this political moment. Um, But, yeah, I'm curious, like, for you, what do you, you know, kind of how do you assess, like, what are the benefits and the you know the ways in which we can use the internet as a tool? And then there's some very real limitations that actually can be harmful.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, how I entered this conversation kind of comes from, you know, my assessment is, you know, a vast majority of people are exposed to left ideas, potentially become le- like, you know, leftists or even baby leftists, however you want to view it, because there actually isn't strong left organizations in their own neighborhoods in their own communities right like there there actually isn't those institutions so people t- uh seek those out through maybe you know one or two persons maybe you meet somebody in college but most folks get their ideas from the internet just because we currently don't have strong left organizations that are just in our hoods and mm-hmm. i think that structural issue is like there's a whole bunch of reasons for that right we talk about how the lefts how uh, at least the U.S. left was being built, and it was defeated, right, for a whole host of reasons in the 70s, ranging from just an economic crisis that gut in, in the way the economy was restructured to gut organized labor, to COINTELPRO, right, where the state was mm-hmm. actively uh, murdering our black and brown liberation organizations. And because of that, right, we are coming into the world where we know th- things are fucked up, but you know, who is the person who is helping us make sense of this? It's the internet, right? And I think the, the strength of it is that the the internet has been foundational for me to like, be exposed to all types of reading lists, uh, ideas, opinions and takes that are like, I wouldn't have heard otherwise. And I'm like, and, and because you don't, you're not in like a meeting, right? You can read an opinion that's on Twitter, that can challenge you and you can struggle with that in the privacy of your own home, right? You ain't got to be embarrassed or anything like that. And I think that there's, I think it's it's been a positive thing just because there hasn't been a lot of left folks. I think the limitations, and we can kind of, kind of talk more about it, is that we shouldn't have to get our ideas. We shouldn't have to be developed and trained off of the internet. We should be able to, we should be able to say that I have been trained because of you know, there's an elder in my community that lived through Mm -hmm. the black power movement or built these organizations and had these lessons. And we actually don't have that. Um, And it's, um, I think a lot like the analogy that kind of comes up to me is that it also limits people's understanding of what's happening in the moment. It's kind of like, if you only pay attention to politics on the internet uh, or just like get your, your opinions from the internet, it's like, you think that the issue within the left is something that is like superficial and it's not real. It's like somebody who only gets relationship advice on the on the internet or on Twitter, and they think that the reason why relationships don't work is because people ain't trying to have two hundred dollar dinner dates, right? It's like the the conversations that are on Twitter um, don't actually aren't always grounded in actual experience because anybody who's in an actual relationship can knows that there's all types of issues that's not just about fucking. Two hundred dollar dinner dates, but if you go on Twitter, that's the most common uh, dating topic hot take that kind of comes up.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I think to your point in terms of the limitations, there's like a long list that we can come up with. Conversations I've had with other folks that like do a lot of like direct action, and you know, have also brought this conversation of safety, privacy, knowing that it's straight up like neo fascist capitalists that own these mediums, and that yeah, like what it means for our movement, for it to be primarily contained within this space, I think like brings up a lot of questions for sure. You know, I I came across um, a tweet the other day of Isra Hirsi, uh Ilhan Omar's daughter, and she tweeted, the world would be better if Gen Z TikTok leftists were actually organizers. Yeah, And I'm like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And I feel like something I've been, kind of pushing on my own like internet platform persona is like this conversation of like what why are we so resistant to organization to belonging to a collective i mean you know i think you and i like we can talk about the alienation of our political economy how it's not ingrained in us and in the society to like actually want to be accountable to a collective, to actually want to be in these type of relationships it's actually not what we're encouraged to do. And it's just been interesting, the sort of DMs I've received, you know, I think people have definitely expressed a lot of hesitancy. And it worries me. It worries me that I think, you know, if we're thinking of political, like, you know, stamina and trigger moments, um, we're kind of coming in the downward like downward of our wave right now in terms of like the political uprisings of this year and it worries me that people are not taking that you know the the assumption or the conclusion after that isn't that they should be accountable to their community in in a very particular like organized political sense um, to actually build power and yeah I'm curious for you like someone that's Belonged to different political homes, someone who now is executive director of Power U, which for folks that don't know is like, you know, a very important um, grassroots organization here in Miami that's been in the community for a little over 20 years and yeah, holding a lot of shit down here. But yeah, I'm curious for you, like kind of how you're processing this moment, like people not funneling into organization, not funneling into movement in a real way.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the 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 reason there's a couple of things that I would say, but like the simplest thing that I can kind of point to around why people uh, don't join organizations is because it's easy not to, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if you actually want to be a a leftist, whatever that means, right, people define that all types of different ways. If you have if you have a critique of capitalism, if you want to see a different world, then you have to be clear about what is it actually going to take to win? And there are people who believe that, hey, if all individuals uh, just, you know, uh, eat better or treat each other a certain way or have the right opinions, then somehow the world is going to, tra- is it going to change, right? It's a super idealistic way of thinking things. And the challenge with joining organizations is that it actually forces you as an individual to have to change in a whole t- types of different ways. It's going to force you to be uncomfortable. It's going to force you to like, actually navigate contradictions and nuance. You don't got to do any of that stuff if you build a following or a brand by sharing your opinions on Twitter. right? And I, and I want to be clear. right? I, don't, I, don't, I think that people who are on Twitter, who are prominent, left-identifying people who put their ideas, I do think like they are contributing to politicizing people, sharpening people's politics but up to a point. Because if you actually go into an organization, you're going to have to confront with uh, every single day how we are all problematic, we're all imperfect, we all don't have certain skills on how to build organizations, so we're insecure. And you're going to have to try to build relationships with somebody who might have ideas, opinions, and views, and experiences that go against all you might have believed or told, right? It's gonna force you to change your opinion on things. So I, I think that you know organizations, there has been no example in history that mm-hmm. revolutions or change has happened with a bunch of just like clusters of individuals who did things, right? It came from strong organizations that were trying to manage the tensions internally and managing the tensions externally. Like, You could look at any global struggle in the global South. Like that's been the case. Um, So, yeah, so I, I, I think, and those folks had to make messy decisions that aren't necessarily the most ideal for somebody who is wanting, who really wants to be viewed as I have all the right opinions. I am like super on point with every single debate, every single topic. I know the right answer. So it's actually just not how the world works, but it can work that way. If you only stay on the internet.
0: Yeah. No, I'm glad I'm glad you said the the history piece, because that's like what I've been reflecting on a lot. You know, like when I get the pushback on the DMs, I don't engage in that debate because I don't, you know, it's it's I don't do it. But my thing that I'm I'm wondering is like, hmm, yeah, there's no like it's a historical to believe. Um and it's actually like quite arrogant. Right. <laughs> and I think like it's very like the thinking of the empire to be like actually if I do better and like read my shit that's it Then it's like no fam right. <laughs> unfortunately I mean that would be great and that would be much easier um but yeah I really resonate a lot with what you know you're offering because I think even I'll use myself as an example because of the uprising I've had an uptick in following online and yeah it's definitely that that dynamic like people there's power dynamics that play out. Like people are going to look at you like you are this person who holds knowledge and holds the right answers. And for whatever reason might have like a better take, um, which is very different than like my orientation when I'm in an organizing space um, that's, you know, I, I really have been challenged. And I think of that Mary Hooks quote of like to be transformed in the service of the work, like that is so fucking real, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't feel like that same power dynamic when I'm in a room of folks that I'm just organizing with. And yeah, like, I don't know. And it's just like hella humbling to just be like, like organizing spaces have taught me so much, but one of the most important things it's taught me, it's taught me is like, it is okay to not know, and be committed and have the will to learn. Um, Which I don't think is something that like, we're told in this society. It's like, either you got it or you don't. Um, And I feel like, yeah, you know, like, for me, that's been really important. Like, in my own like development as a person, as a, like an adult, to just be like, oh, I actually like understand that I can't possess all these answers, but what I do know is that I have agency to commit to learning, to asking questions, to being in community, um, and that's been super transformative for me and like how I orient myself in the world and my own insecurities. Um, so I'm glad you offered that. I'm thinking also like you know i think for folks listening to this i don't want to like romanticize organizations or in a way i don't want to say that cuz this is something i've gotten in the dms is like that there aren't toxic things that happen in organizations um we know this and i think to expect otherwise is also like a bit silly you know like we are especially if like you're looking to organize within a, a set of like organized with oppressed people it's like we have gone through fucked up shit like we're traumatized and through the work like we're gonna have to unlearn and heal and like do a lot of things and also like we live in a really fucked up society of capitalism imperialism and all the isms that invariably are going to bleed into organizations that are trying to do good work so it's like I'm not trying to romanticize it and I also like want to acknowledge that this is you know, like this is part of being a person in like a collective society. Um, But I do think like the importance of trying to funnel people into a community organization feels like as crucial as ever. Um, And I'm curious to hear from you, like how are you thinking right now? Because, you know, if I'm an individual online, I don't have a sense of strategy. Like that's not something I'm thinking about. Um, And I think with the elections, people have been talking about they have been talking as if they have a strategy if they are part of this like you know um struggle in a particular way but yeah I'm curious to hear from you like what is yeah like what does it mean to have an opinion versus what does it mean to be in struggle towards a strategic goal
1: yeah no I mean I think there's a lot there I mean when the first thing that comes up is this idea, like you have to have all the right answers, right? Like that is something that we are trained given how we learn how to be so called left on on the internet. It's like you either have the right opinion and you get retweeted and supported, or you have the wrong opinion and you get dragged. (laughs) And you either double down, right? And build a following of people who fuck with that, you know, problematic opinion or whatever. And that's what you become known for, right? As the person who is like, making those things or you can try to change your opinion. right? But it is rooted in opinions and it's not strategy. I think that, I I wanna be really clear too, I don't wanna romanticize organizing because like it is, as you know, it is grueling work. Most of it is unseen. People don't really, it's not just protesting, right? It's like really struggling with folks. And I think to the question around what do you do with toxic situations is for me, it's a question around, okay, do you actually want liberation? Do you believe that it's possible? I think, I think if people believe that liberation is possible, if you organize, if they really believe that, then I ask them, you know, how many people do you think that we need to be in coordination to make that possible, especially in a place like the US, right? Like the empire. And when you start getting into the numbers, right, it's like, we're talking about millions of people have to be doing a certain thing. And I, it would be naive for me to think that I'm going to belong to an organization with millions of people and toxic shit, harm does not occur. Mm-hmm. The, the orientation, though, is that, you know, do you leave the or you know, d- because that organization doesn't match your values? I'm going to leave. Or do you think, shit, if I actually want liberation, I know that these things, because of how our folks have been socialized and shaped uh, and underdeveloped because of, of racial capitalism, how am I going to learn to build the skills needed to navigate that toxicity, to navigate and and move through that harm for the sake of having millions of people move towards liberation? You're not going to be able to build that skill if you're not in the organization figuring that shit out, right? Like no one ever learns how to ride a bike by reading a pamphlet on how to ride a bike, right? Mm -hmm. You have to get on it. You're going to fall. You're going to figure stuff out. But it's you know, that is the kind of thing that gets missed is that you don't actually you're not going to be able to get towards liberation if you don't do the work, which means you're going to have to try to do things you've never done before. You're going to make mistakes and mess up. Uh, and, and I think that kind of gets I think that kind of gets lost and obscured in social in, on social media. I think the last thing that I would say to kind of directly answer the last question you have around the difference between opinions and strategy is that because we have been trained a certain way by getting our politics on the internet we actually can't discern what is an opinion what is a, a ideological difference or political difference and what is strategy now i think the biggest case in point right is the like angela davis for example supporting uh, or at least saying that a ticket with biden and kamala harris is like palatable right and the response to you know regardless of how you feel about the fu- the ticket that is you know I have all types of uh, <laughs> of negative feelings about that shit. The response to Angela Davis was like, Angela Davis don't speak for all Black folks, or Angela Davis is the fez, or damn they got Angela Davis too, she's selling out, right? It, like it becomes either about the the individual person, right, or uh, it just becomes like a superficial take, like oh she's the fez, she sold out, therefore. Uh, she's saying this shit that is all however you view it that's all opinions but no I have not seen there's probably some spaces that exist but I haven't seen the majority of people talking about that debating the merit of why uh Angela Davis is supporting Harris right because I, I think that is somewhat I think that is the challenge right because when you actually are saying okay why is she supporting? this ticket or why is she saying that? You then have to think, okay, what is Angela Davis's assessment of what is happening across the the country? What is happening across the globe? You know, Who is in formation? Who has power? Who doesn't have power? Uh, What happens if Trump stays in office? Uh, How does that impact our movements? How does that impact violence? What happens if he, you know, uh, he loses the election, but doesn't leave the White House? What happens to Uh, His his followers, his base of people who are going to rock with him, whether he wins or loses. Right? You actually have to debate all these different things that are. You have to make sense of the moment, and people don't know how to do that. Therefore, the immediate response is like, "Oh, Angela Davis sold out." Um, and, And I just think once you actually start debating the merits of why people are believing what they're believing, based off of their assessment of the moment, now you're moving towards conversations that that would get towards strategy (sighs) yeah
0: that that's a that's a hard one I think we're yeah it's been a a strange year (laughs) I think you know you know between the COVID stuff like the political uprising and then you know thinking that just a few months ago like earlier this year there were potentially, like, millions of people in this country that thought someone like a Bernie Sanders would actually, like, contend for, um, you know, the race of, of presidency in this country. And then that in just a few months, kind of, yeah, the typical American has to, have to like, shift and pivot around understanding this moment. That I also think we haven't, yeah, to so your point, it's like we actually don't have too much space to process all those shifts and pivots in the political moment, you yeah. know? Even as myself, that's like, yeah, I'm an organizer. I'm thinking about this on a daily basis. It's really, really hard to assess and like have a sober assessment of like what is actually happening and what is not, and what are the potential ways in which this is gonna turn out in the next couple of months and how it'll impact us long term. It's just hard if you don't have a space, um, if you don't have a grounding, if you don't have a framework, you know. And also, like saying all of that to say that there, there are different, there are different like ideological like there are ideological differences you know like you were mentioning like there are people who just like significantly do things different you know I've I've been hearing about you know this theory that I'm like oh my god is that me you know where folks are like you know shit's actually gonna have to like accelerate and get worse and like really really get even more dire to create the conditions in this country for revolution um and I'm like shit maybe but you know (laughs) it you know even strategy even that strategy that's rooted like it's still a gamble it's still a risk and that i think that's something that history teaches us and it's always going to be a contention of struggle right like yeah. we look at revolutionary states that like to this day are kind of on a daily basis having to like fight for their you know fight for their country their resources their you know self-determination because it's like there's always going to be like that right. tug of war yeah. um but yeah I mean that makes a lot of sense I'm like I have too many thoughts on the Kamala Harris Biden ticket That I'm like that's a separate conversation and I've been trying to avoid getting into it um yeah. <laughs> but, but I think um something I'm curious to hear from you is like what you know if we were having this conversation like in June early June which is mm-hmm. actually like when we intended to right and we yeah. you know We didn't know that the summer was going to be what it was going to be, Um, especially I think as folks that are like abolitionists and like rooted in leftist work that like we've been talking and we've been organizing around local efforts to defund the police like very explicitly and then to see the whole country kind of use this slogan and, you know, it become this this topic in the mainstream. You know, I for me, it's wild to think that in Miami, because there's like a new there's going to be a new county mayor for the first time in almost a decade, that they were in Univision, a conservative, like, Latinx channel, and the whole topic, the whole debate was about defunding the police. Mm. You know, like, that just, it blows my mind. If you would have told me that in January, I'm like, nah, but word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm curious, like, what are, kind of related to social media, like, <clears throat> what are some things, what does it mean for our movement for people to be considering this, these, these, topics and like ideological demands that are rooted in grassroots movement but not belong to that grassroots movement
1: yeah yeah i mean i think the so the what it means right is kind of what folks don't really want to acknowledge or share is you know although the news may sensationalize defund although it's becoming more of a household conversation if you actually materially look at uh, police departments across the country, if you look at community-based organizations across the country, the vast majority of them are actually not moving towards less police. Um, they might, you know, you know, there are places in California or in LA that have been able to chip away at some of the the police budgets, and you talk to folks there, they're they not really satisfied with how a lot of that stuff went down. And some of those, you know, some of the places that have, so for example, if you look at places like uh, in Denver uh, or in, uh, Columbus, in Columbus, who are talking about ending their contract with police, with school police, uh, for example, you know, these were organizations that were trying to put, put themselves in position, right? They were organizations, not individuals, who are trying to put themselves in position for many, many years. And this moment, this uprising, has kind of helped move wind into their boats that were already moving, right? Mm-hmm. I think so, you know, I think the, the hard part though is we sometimes overemphasize or overestimate our power based off of what the media sensationalizes. And I think, you know, you can, I can look at many cities and they're not going, uh, it's budget season for many, they're not going to defund the police. They're not going to decrease, they're not even going to decrease the police budgets, right? Because uh, just because people are sharing your messaging doesn't mean you have the actual institutional structural power um, that is going to accomplish that goal. I mean, I think the concrete example that I will share is sort of the, the Trump tax bill that was passed a couple of years ago. I mean, the media was like 75% of Americans don't support this tax bill, right? You had a bunch of people in Congress like doing sit-ins and disrupting. At the end of the day, Trump and the right-wing conservatives had enough of power institutionally, locally, and with the votes to shove that shit down our throat, right? Mm -hmm. The reason why one of the most popular... Uh, policy proposals is a universal health care, right, or Medicare for all. Like I talked to my mama; she ain't got a political bone in her body. She's like, "This COVID stuff is fucked up. We need everybody need to have health care, even if they ain't got a job, right?" Like it's a mm-hmm. com- it's becoming a common sense thing, and I think some you know you can te- you could give a like a lot of the credit does go to like the. Bernie Sanders' campaign and just like the the popularization of Medicare for All, it is one of the most popular policies in the country. Do we have that? No. Do we have a Democratic nominee who's even vocally in support of that? No. And I want to put to folks, why do you think that is, right? It's actually the fact that they don't feel like they need to even uh, move that policy is an indication of the folks who are actually pulling the strings. The organizations that actually have the institutional ability to move an agenda are actually outnumbering us. And, and that sounds cynical to say, but so I, I say that you, you know, it is exciting times that we're in. So many people are being politicized. It is an opportunity, but that opportunity can only be maximized based off of how many people. That translates to going into organizations and having those organizations be rooted in the, in, be rooted in our communities.
0: Yeah. And I want to invite people listening to this conversation, you know, into the Gramsci quote of like pessimism of the intellect and optimism, optimism of the will. That's really where we at. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad you framed it that way, you know, cause I feel like sometimes like we don't get the space to like call it what it is, you know, it's like, this is, you know, kind of the only acceptable opinion right now is like it's exciting time shit is changing like we winning keep it going and you know there's some aspects of that that are real you know like I think to your point like yeah my parents too they're like no this is wild that we're in a global health pandemic and that this richest nation in the world doesn't think that it's actually a right for even its citizens to actually have access to healthcare. like you know that's just like everybody's on that tip, you know. Um but I think, you know, on the flip side, kind of like I'm curious to expand a little bit more on like the exciting part of this time, right? Like right. like what are what are these like openings, right? Beyond just like the defund the police becoming a mainstream slope. And like what are the real openings? I'm curious that like, you're kind of seeing. Yeah, like what are the openings where people can kind of like insert themselves and and really like
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you know. so a lot of my um, like I kind of came up really after Ferguson um, and the Ferguson uprising. And I think there are parts of this movement now that actually look really similar to like what people were saying uh, those years ago. So some of, you know, some of this stuff does feel uh, similar. And, uh, you know, a, a good friend of mine, I think he shared it uh, in, a, in a different space where right, history doesn't repeat itself. Uh, but sometimes it rhymes, and, and I, I think that there are some uh, conversations that people are having uh, that you know we're opening that are openings back in Ferguson. What feels unprecedented at this moment is that the global is a global pandemic that has really put so many people, so many people here, especially Americans, who whether they. Uh, Know it or not, right? Fall into American exceptionalism, right? And I think it was really eye opening for so many people to be like, damn, we really don't have a public health system, right? Or damn, like the people who are running our country, who are supposed to be smarter than us, more skilled than us, actually have no fucking idea what they're doing. And not only at the presidential level, right? We're in a city where, like, students parents teachers people are like are we gonna reopen like we don't know what the hell is like no one knows what education is going to look like so i think the the exciting possibilities of this moment is that so many people are seeing like the underbelly of um like this lie behind american exceptionalism like that shit has been ripped right people are like this country is trash <laughs> like this you know this country like we ain't got our shit together like people are actually feeling that and i think. Th- so many people now are uh, questioning foundational beliefs they had about this country. And I think that's indicated by the Democratic Party is also, in many cases, like fighting for their own legitimacy, right? Like even people who are, like the majority of the people that I know who are supporting uh, the Democratic ticket, like not one person is enthusiastic about it, right? And I think that you know, it does talk about like the way things are stacked in our against us, where this is in many ways like an oligarch uh, kind of society where we don't really have a lot of choices. It does. I do think an opportunity for people to think about is so when so many people have a lack of faith in the political establishment, in the Democratic Party, it actually gives openings for other people to articulate a vision that more people resonate with. That is so That's so exciting for folks who are organizing, because what that means is you actually have less, uh, there's, there's less uh, strong current against you, where like maybe 10 years ago, you were trying to go into a neighborhood or you were trying to be in your organization and like try to make people see the limitations of Obama, right, <laughs> where some people were just like not trying, like I ain't, I ain't trying to hear what the hell you have to say, because psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, That man just means so much more to me than whatever the fuck you got to say. (laughs) Um, So I say all that to say, you know, there's so much questioning, there's so much legitimacy that's up for grabs. That it is the space now where you can have more conversations with your family members about left ideas they might not have, they might have thought you were crazy, right? Um, Mm. So I think I think that is really exciting for sure.
0: Yeah. No, I mean facts, and and I'm glad that you connected it to the Dems, because that was going to be my next question. I know that like we're running short on time, Um, but I do I want to hear more about like how you're interpreting this moment with the with the Dems, right? Like I I've been questioning like, damn, what if they wouldn't have robbed Bernie's race, like right before the the pandemic hit? Like would you know would we have had a chance had we had someone that seemed more progressive and like rooted in these values that people are demanding, like Medicare for all, actually, like, having a social safety net. But, you know, in just the... Like, I'm, you know, right before you head out, like, what what's the tea with the Dems right now? Like, where, where are they at?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the way I think about the Dems uh, in many ways... And, and when I say Dems, I'm talking really honestly about, like, corporate Dems, uh, sort of neoliberals, because um, they actually are different than maybe the person that's your neighbor who has been a Dem their whole life. And might not necessarily, they're a Dem because their mama was a Dem or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But it kind of is like the emperor has no clothes, right? It's like, you know, so many, the fact that we were in a global pandemic, uh, (laughs) we were in uprisings uh, due to, to the police murders and the corporate Dems, their response, right, was to, Come out wearing kente cloth and kneeling, right? Like, you know, it's like who, like who, who thought that was a good idea, right? (laughs) Um, That's what I'm asking. (laughs) You know, and I think that so many people in the past, where the symbolism was really important for people, I think so many people are now seeing past that, right? I think Mm -hmm. so many people are seeing past, you know. Democratic, neoliberal mayors painting Black Lives Matter in their streets. And the the Dems are kind of, the corporate Dems are in a contradiction that they're gonna have to deal with, right? Is that they're gonna have to try to appeal to uh, a base that they don't actually represent the interests of, right? Uh, they know, and they're very clear about that because of the money that they get from corporations. Um, and at the same time, uh, they are actually, in many ways, threatened by how much, po- like Trump actually puts them in, in some sort of threats. And I think that's debated, uh, but there's, uh, there's not actual, I think the one thing I will say to people is that we can't view the Dems, right? As this sort of like, everybody's on the same page, right? Like everybody got in, everybody is sort of having the same interests. But it's actually like a big tent with a loose coalition of different people with different interests. I think the one thing you can point to, though, is the way they were all were all sort of divided or kind of trying it out, running how many people were running for presidency, and then the way they sort of like got in line to prevent Bernie Sanders, I think actually just tells a story that although they're scrambling for legitimacy, they still right now have... Uh, a real lock on our people, you know, uh, yeah. and, and the only solution uh, to preventing that from happening is to have independent political organizations that people are belong to, that people belong to, that are not beholden to the Democratic Party. And if you look at the states where, you know, someone like a Bernie Sanders won, a lot of those states have had Uh, an increase over the past 20 years in independent political organizations, right? Where if you look at a place like South Carolina, there's actually not a lot of independent political organizations there. People get their their meaning-making, their worldview from the Democratic Party via the church, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's one thing I will say is that, you know, we can't put all Dems into a bucket and the the way the cards are rigged structurally is that the people who have the most power are sort of the corporate dams who are in the pockets of the elite. And that there is a way to combat that, but it takes actually building organizations that start off locally and then slowly are able to scale up where you can kind of change some of the terrain. And I think that's grueling work, that's unseen work, and that's work that the media is not going to tell you.
0: Yeah. Ooh, the dams, the dams, the Dems, ah, the uh, they give me headaches and they make our life harder. <laughs> right. But, um, I just want to say thank you, James, for all of what you offered today. Um, I feel like we could also have even follow-up conversations because, you know, we're going to see shit continue to pop off right. for the rest right. of this year. And as we get closer to election day, um, that I don't want folks to like lose, you know, lose the meter of what's happening and what's not. Um, but something I, I really want to appreciate and highlight is, you know, what I really heard from everything you offered is like, we must organize for like our dignity, our baseline dignity. And like, we must believe that we actually deserve better. Yeah. And if we truly fundamentally believe that in our bones and our body and our heart, that we will get organized. I just don't you know, I don't see the individualism happening and translating into this liberatory, you know, dream. Sure. Um, so thank you for everything you offered today. Um, I think you're gonna, you know, folks are gonna listen to this and be like, oh shit, word. <laughs> but thank you so much. Um, always grateful to be in conversation with you, to be in struggle with you. Um, yeah, thank you.
1: No, this I enjoyed this conversation. and uh, Yeah, there will be many more, I'm sure. <laughs>